Welcome to our podcast, We're Not So Different. I'm Samira. And I'm Ali. We're two professionals having real conversations about our experiences at home, work, and out in the community. We tell our stories through the lens of our different backgrounds to just find out that we're not so different. In our podcast, we'll explore ways that we can improve engagement and bridge social gaps while trying to find the humor in it all. Check us out on social media at WNSDifferent or email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. This is the first episode of We're Not So Different. And this initial launch of our podcast is an idea that the two of us came up with just to have a creative outlet, an outlet of expression, a free form to talk primarily about culture, getting around bias, getting around cultural misunderstandings, and trying to shed a little bit more light on the fact that despite being different, we're not so different. And this is a forum for us to do that. So today, our launch episode, we are going to talk about uh, the provocative N-word. We're going to talk about language um, from a cultural perspective, both at home um, and at work, uh, outside, inside, social life, how we use language, how language impacts our lives even at home, what we say, what we can and can't say around our parents, what we can and can't say around adults, and even the generational difference between how you may have been allowed to speak at home when you were young versus how young folks today are allowed to speak at home. We both work together at the same company, and uh, the way all of this started was we we're both very active in our employee resource groups at our company, and um, where we have a lot of conversations about diversity and inclusion and the challenges around having these types of conversations at work. And that's really how it started. And then we just had so much fun having the conversations that we thought it would be great to share it with you guys and see if maybe you can get some value from our different perspectives. So I am um, an American-born Iranian. I'm also Muslim. Uh, my children, I have two boys. They're 14 and 18, and they're mixed. So their father was um, African-American. And so I bring, uh, you know, my perspective of growing up in a small town in Fresno, moving to um, the Houston area for about five years, and then been in the Silicon Valley for about 10 years now. So I have a, a very different perspective coming from those different areas um, and just the work that I've done throughout my life uh, in the Muslim community, in the Iranian community, and just, you know, existing and observing um, and Ali. Yeah, I'm a, a, a native of the Bay Area. Um, I'm black or African-American, whichever term you choose to use. Which I uh, never know which one to use. So <laughs> thanks for making that so much easier for the non-black African-American community. Uh, and I also have, uh, I have one son. Uh, he's black. His mother's black. Uh, my parents are are from the South, spent most of my life in the Bay Area. Both of them are black, and I guess I'm stressing the black so everybody knows I'm black through and through. I can probably trace trace all the way black, technically, to uh, to a plantation somewhere uh, based on my last name. Have you ever done that? 
I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I, I think the name I know for I know that my father's father's father was a slave for yeah. a fact. And my dad actually uh sharecropped for a short period of time. Because he was my father was born in, in nineteen thirty three, so I've been old. What state? Oh Arkansas. Oh. Originally my mother's from Louisiana. So I know that my father when he was very young, there were still places in the South where you you sharecropped where there would be What does that mean, sharecropped? So sharecrop for those that that don't know. So after slavery, um, when they set everyone, quote unquote, free and left Mm -hmm. them with nothing, uh, there was a twofold issue. One is all these all these black folks have nowhere to go Mm -hmm. and they own nothing. Right. Because the South wouldn't give them anything. But then kind of like ironically, in a weird way, like you run into situations today where, well, if your labor force disappears, who tends to your fields, right? right. So, um, what they did to manipulate the system is is or as part of the system, not even manipulate the system, but the system as it existed then. What they came up with is, okay, fine, we can't own slaves, but we need you to do the work. So, what we'll do is we'll say, here's a small parcel where you can live, but I'm your landlord, so you owe me rent. You you have to pay me for food, even though you're the one tilling the fields, right, and growing food or whatever the, you know, if it's cotton, tobacco, whatever the, the, the wow. crop was. And so they called that sharecropping. So the name sounds nice, but the reality was basically you were essentially indentured servitude, right? So it was, I'm there with my family, I'm working the field for my former master, ironically, and I have to pay him for everything that I use. So I have to pay him for rent, pay him for water, pay him for food, even though I'm doing the work and basically created a situation where I would owe him forever. So I really couldn't get out, couldn't get out of that situation. So it was, it was basically a form of nature servitude. So my great aunt on my father's side worked um, on a farm and essentially had my dad at a, at a young age sharecropping there. Your dad was born in 1933. Yeah. So... So Let's say well into the forties, fifties, like he yeah. was still doing that. That is insane. Eighteen sixty-five is when, and and even it even, was announced in the south, right? And and right, and that's the thing, right? There's a difference between an announcement and you got to think back in that day. It's not like now, right? That's almost a hundred like, years later. Yeah, it's not like okay, I can just make a phone call, like but but there were from from my understanding that there were. There were instances of, of that sort of thing that still prevailed, right? I mean, even now, if you think about it, when people say, oh, I went to a certain part of the country and they're so old fashioned, mm-hmm. they're so backwater, they're so, and people say that now. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine in 1940 or 41 or 42 or 45, yeah. how, 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 how much a place could still be steeped in old tradition and old culture. And now the only caveat to this, though, is I'm not 100% sure that in during his time that it was only Caucasians that owned these places. So really when, I, when I'm explaining sharecropping, that's like the immediate aftermath, mm-hmm. right? But even further than that, it could still be that sort of that sort of arrangement. And I would have to find out from him if, if the owner of that land was indeed white. Um, because you don't, cause I don't know. Because after a certain time, I mean, black folks did own parcels of land and have, you know, homes and that sort of thing. And, and you know, cause it continued that. And, and it could, it could have just been something that where they just continued that, that practice, right. You can come work for me, right. Cause this mm-hmm. is, you know, probably well before unions and, and, mm-hmm. you know, 
actual like, oh, we have, you know, a number of laborers for us or farmers or, or what have you. So I'd have to ask him about the specifics, but I know that he he used that term specifically. Okay. So I want to ask you this question and then we'll get to the topic. Okay. Um, why, what are your thoughts on Juneteenth and why you don't celebrate it? Your perspective, so, not necessarily representing the yeah, community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of how I personally feel yeah. and then how other other folks in the community feel um i am very i guess particular about celebrations in general because i want to understand where they came from and what they're about oh okay so given that juneteenth is about the emancipation proclamation was it really an emancipation proclamation to me personally absolutely not Right. Your so family you, is testament to that. Yeah, exactly. And so I and if you if you, you know, do any sort of digging into any sort of history book that, that is going to be open and honest with you. I mean, even and, and I know this is this will be a conversation probably for another another episode of our we're not so different. But as much as in American tradition they talk about, you know, the great thing, you know, the great forefathers and you know, who built the country, yada yada yada. If you really get into the skinny of, of of why that announcement was made, it wasn't made out of the kindness and gratitude of the colonizer at that point in time, mm-hmm. right? It was a war move. It was a war tactic. It was a strategy. If you read anything related to Abraham Lincoln, he didn't care whatsoever whether or not this, whether or not black folks or or former Africans rather mm-hmm. were slaves or not. It was irrelevant to him. Mm-hmm. It was about saving saving and preserving the Union solely, mm-hmm. nothing to do with, oh, I actually believe that these former, these stolen Africans are are real people with real thoughts and can can be, you know, uh, contributors to our society, et cetera, et cetera. It was, mm-hmm. it was simply about the Union. And there were a lot of conversations that happened after that about, well, what do we do with these folks? Once we've, once we've done that, there were conversations um, centering around, do we ship them to Cuba? Do we ship them to Haiti? Do we ship them? There was one conversation about, do we ship them back to Africa? So that basically, was a we're thing. done with them and just get we're done with them. So how do we get rid of them? But it was too expensive to send them to Africa. One of his, I, I believe, if if my memory serves correctly, one of his advisors said, you know, the idea of sending them back to Africa is not a bad idea, but it would be too costly for us to do so. So it was, it's to me celebrating the day when someone made a call to free you, not because of who you are, but simply because of what advantage it would provide them. I don't necessarily know that I wouldn't, that I want to go out and celebrate that day. It was happenstance, to be honest. Right. So, okay. For, for another day. Yeah. For another day. I'll have to to dig into my, my, my textbooks and. I'd like to invite someone to come speak who's for it. Oh, that'd be awesome! And oh, there's all, and just have you guys t- have that conversation. We could probably find someone at the. Oh, I, I have someone in mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so the conversation we wanted to have today was around the N word. Yeah. And the way it came up was, uh, Ollie met, met my sons for the first time today. Awesome kids. Thank you. Good looking kids too. Thank you. Like their mama. Pleasantly surprised. <laughs> pleasantly surprised. Rude. <laughs> Your dad was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, and your son is very handsome, quite the gentleman. Thank you well very much. Um, glad to have him. Uh, 
And uh, I, as we were, you know, preparing for this co- podcast, uh, I confessed to Ollie, which I do a lot, <laughs> about how my children sometimes, uh, more frequently, recently, as they're getting older and um, they've been using the N-word and how that has been kind of playing in my internal dialogue when I say something. And then it just really, 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 really got me present to, one, the fact, the impact it has on a human being, being called that, especially when it's in terms of the color of their skin, right? Yeah. So I don't like the word being used, but you were more surprised that, <laughs> go ahead, Tom, what surprised so, you <laughs> Funny, because I've been told that I have a very expressive look and, I, and my, my facial expressions are very... Um, uh, are very unique and my son picks it up too. So it's so funny to watch him get excited or angry or upset. And his teachers tell me the same thing as expression. So my expression surely was that of shock and awe and surprise. Um, <laughs> I was completely blown away by it, but which is great though, because the point of this podcast is to talk about culture. Like this mm-hmm. whole thing came up from culture, culture, culture outside of just diversity and inclusion there's a diversity side, there's the inclusion side. So the diversity is saying, I'm black, you are Ryan, mm-hmm. right? There is, there's a diversity, but the inclusion part of it is let, let's talk about these things. Yeah. So that, that threw me, but why it threw me is because of how I was raised and where my parents are from and their culture. Sure. So for my father growing up in the deep South, Obviously, down there was said with a hard ER, and it meant something very different, right? That there's the despicable side of mm-hmm. the word. When I was growing up, and my father moved to the Bay Area when he was in his early 20s. So that is 44, so late, late, late 50s, early 60s. So when I was growing up for him, you know, I, you know, the, the classic, you know, Deep South Christian household. Using bad language was just not allowed, period, by children. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Like, you you cursed. You you know, I couldn't say dang or darn. Like, that was too close to damn as far as, especially as far as my mother was concerned. So, we got away with that growing <laughs> up because um, my parents are immigrants. Mm-hmm. And even though I identify as Muslim, I was not raised in a religious household uh-huh. at all. And I think half the time my mom didn't understand what we were saying anyway. Right. Right. right, Like, I think it was, we were speaking too quickly. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you listen to songs that you grew up with Mm -hmm. and you used to sing. Right. Like, you know, and then when now as an adult, you actually listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to say that. (laughs) Oh, that's what he's doing to her? Oh. Salt and pepper, what? Right, right. What are we pushing? No. Right. <laughs> right. So I think for, you know, we got away with a lot. Yeah. That yeah. I don't think most in a traditional household, yeah. like if I was in Iran, um, and, and of course every family is different, but I think, you know, we we're just raised with that certain respect. Like there are certain things you just knew not to say yeah. to yeah. adults or certain right. language, right. you know, like for in Farsi, when we're speaking to an adult, you know, just like with French, or I believe Spanish um, and other languages, we have a formal version of the word. Yeah. Right? Okay, like yeah. if I want to say you, mm-hmm. my son, if I'm, if I'm talking to you, I'll say to. Mm-hmm. But if I, if you were like my boss mm-hmm. or someone I respected, yeah. I would say, <laughs> show mom. Oh, okay. Not that Got I don't it. respect you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I'm definitely a two. <laughs> two. <laughs> so, um, so for us, I think because it's in our language, our parents didn't have to tell us over and over to be respectful. Right. It's in our language. It's built in the language. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we knew when I was saying, you know, that I was speaking differently to different people. And yeah. I knew there were certain people that I couldn't speak with. So similarly here, like, sir, ma'am, this is, yeah. that's a, the, the formal. Yeah. yeah. So, so back to like the cultural aspect of this is, so when I was growing up, my father didn't, he didn't use a lot of profanity at all. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, and for him, it was more of a, a respect thing and, and, you know, use your words. Right. Okay. Um, so he led by example. He, oh, my father absolutely led by example. And so it was funny when she was saying that, when you were saying that, uh, you know, your kids use the N word and I was like completely shocked. My father used it when I was growing up. If my father said the N word, it was in reference to someone that he thought was the salt of the earth, mm-hmm. right? That he thought was selling drugs or he, he would use it for people that sold drugs who were standing on the corner, completely wasting their time and their whatever opportunity they may or may not have had mm-hmm. uh, to do something that was not going to work long term for them from a success factor or from an education factor or whatever. He specifically referred to, you know, black kids who weren't about anything as that. So I knew when I was growing up that for him, when he said it, that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. When my friends said it, it was a term of endearment, mm-hmm. right? So any, and the funny thing about language, just to take like a very slight detour, it, it means whatever the person wants it to mean. And what I mean by that is I know women Right, that call each other bitch all the time, right, and love each other, sure. bitch, right, like <laughs> all the time, right. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when my so I kind of grew up in that in that split where I had an yeah. old father from the south, mm-hmm. but I grew up in the Bay Area, very far from the south, in in a uh, in a very diverse area in the Bay in a diverse diverse area within the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. on the street I grew, grew up on, there it was all. Blacks and Latinos. Okay. It was like one white guy. <laughs> that was, you know, that was our age when I talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the folks that were our age. So it was interesting have, growing up with that dichotomy of in the household when he said it, it was just like, oh, I don't want to oh, be yeah. that N word. But then outside of my friends, like, I'm that N word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, like, I think um, growing up, you know, my, my parents are very casual. I do swear around my my dad particularly more comfortably than I would my mom. And and my reasoning around allowing my kids to say it, even though they know I, I, I don't like it. Um, and my thoughts about it, um, and me not being a black person or of the African American community. Like I, I don't really feel like I get to say one way or another, whether, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't feel like I have the space or, you know, even though they're my kids, I don't feel like I have the right to really take that from choice from them. Mm-hmm. And when I've talked with people, just like, you know, you talk about identifying as black or African American, I know that there is the argument that, you know, taking ownership of it, right? So changing the meaning from a negative yeah. derogatory to making it more of a companion type thing. And my opinions aside, I didn't want to take that away from my kids. Yeah. Um, one, I don't feel like I have a place. Their dad uses it, so another reason I can't. Didn't feel like I could take it away from them. Um, but also, as I mentioned, my kids just recently started to engage more 
with the black side of the family yeah. or the African-American side of the family. And I feel like that's their way of like partially hanging on to that identity. Like that's, this is also who I am. Yeah, I'm Iranian and yeah, I am my own person and I don't, you know, being raised in the Bay Area, they have the privilege of saying things like, my color doesn't define me. But <laughs> yes, it does. That's, a, that's, <laughs> that's another topic. That's another topic. But like, um, you know, being raised around that attitude and that that dialogue of, um, you know, I'm not defined by where I'm, my what the color of my skin is. That they have that privilege, right? But I feel like this is just kind of their way of like holding yeah, on a little bit. That's interesting too that you brought that up because I have to, I have to part of you know we're not so different is I have to understand it from your perspective right? mm-hmm. I have to use my intellect to try to figure out, okay, if I put myself in the shoes of a person who's not black, mm-hmm. but has children who are, mm-hmm. are close enough to be recognized as black by, as I say, by the police. Oh yeah. They, well, um, they clearly, then that's an interesting thing because I, I, when I was growing up for my parents, specifically my dad, ownership trumps race Meaning, if this is my house and I don't like something, Mm -hmm. I don't care what you are or what you're mixed with or what you identify as. Mm -hmm. My rules are my rules for where I pay bills and where I go and bust my hump at whatever my my, uh, employment is Mm -hmm. and provide for you. Mm -hmm. And that will trump other things. And I think that I think that probably was built into why my eyes got so mm-hmm. big when you said that they can say that because for my dad it was definitely like you know yeah we're all black in the household so that yeah. the, the the talk about ownership and that sort of thing kind of goes out the window and that's mm-hmm. where I'm I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm like oh huh I didn't really think about the idea of well they're black and they need their own self-expression I don't want to I don't want to tread on their yeah their ability to express themselves but I know my dad would would be like yeah whatever I'm paying bills in here if I don't like it. And honestly, to say I don't like something for him is the same as saying, don't do it in my house. Which is, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so I feel like we, we need another, we need a topic to be, <laughs> to, yeah. to talk about, just, you know, just talk about what happens when you're not, when you have children that don't look like you. And you'll be you'll be my expert witness <laughs> <laughs> on that and, 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 the, and the things that you think about as a parent when it comes to not wanting to, in this case, stifle someone's blackness, so to speak, right? Because right. that, that's that's probably a whole other a whole other thought process. And and you're you know the kids nowadays, I'm sure they're a little bit more. I don't know, I like to call it challenging, if that's even a word. About, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm this and I'm that. And Mom, let me bubble, you know, versus yeah. old school style of you know I'm still not my dad didn't directly say it, but or my parents, but definitely you know speak when spoken to that generation oh, speak when yeah, spoken to yeah, children yeah. are to be seen, not heard. Yeah, yeah. My dad tries to do that, but he's such a joker that it's like, we couldn't like take that seriously. Like, dad, sorry. You can't, you can't come and like clown me one minute and play jokes on me and then be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I I went to write down that note and I lost my train of thought for a second, but I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, that whole, this is my house, my rules thing. I don't know. I don't know about like other Iranian households um, if that was really something that was said 
Mm. I think it's kind of like a little bit known that, you know, we're a little bit more like respectful of, you know, our dad is very patriarchal. Mm. Um, <laughs> however, we're also, I, I feel like when I go into Iranian households, we're also very like free and talkative, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I'm just kind of curious when, do you think that the fact that your dad had to probably work so much harder to be able to say in my house? Yeah. I, you if know, that has anything to do with that need to be like, this is holding on to this is mine and this is, you know what I mean? Like yeah. my house, my rules type stuff. Like I get saying that as a parent, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, as a form of discipline for yeah, your kids. Yeah. But, um, you know, like one thing that I've learned from other Iranian parents who mentored me as a single mom, like they would say to me things like, let them let them do whatever they want at home. Yeah. That way when they go out. Yeah. So they've got their home face. Yeah. And then they've got their public face. So and it's it's which is huge in our community. I'm so glad you said that. I don't even know if that's if that's on this particular topic. We may have to touch on it at another point in time. But let's write a note to touch on that because I think it's a I think it's a broader topic because mm-hmm. you mentioned something earlier about color defining someone. Mm-hmm. We are from a place in this country where color absolutely defines you. So to say that, hey, you can be free at home, sometimes your habits precede you, right? Sometimes your habits are what they are. It's hard to turn that off when you get outside of the home. So if you think about it from uh, a black American's perspective, especially parents um, that are from an older generation from the South, you have to train your child in the home. Mm-hmm. You can't say like, oh, well, when you get at, you know, in the home, you can do whatever you want and then hope that they remember that outside in the street because there's a different the consequence. Are, right? There's a completely that. different. I mean, I can tell some stories about stuff that happened to my dad. And and so lit- literally, literally, almost having a pickup truck full of white guys lynch him, hundred okay. percent, right? All the I way, even know all the all the way, moving to is... the Bay Area and being, and this will be a story, a, a story for another day. Um, being in a police precinct with a police officer, encouraging a man who was committed of, of uh, encouraging a quote unquote witness to implicate him in a robbery that he was not a part of when he was just getting off of work. Oh my God. Right. So, so the implications of behaviors is very different. So for me, when I think about, um, when I think about what folks are allowed to do, um, are allowed to do or not to do, um, the experience defines you, right? It's Mm -hmm. so inbred in what, in what, in what and who you are. That's what you think about. So when you say they can say this, I'm like, (gasps) you know, because for me, when I was home, like, oh, I can't use that language because my father doesn't approve that. He doesn't like that. And that was probably just a personal preference on, on his end. I I, I haven't talked to him about that specific word. Um, but that's where it comes from. And I think the old fashioned piece of it is just, just kind of old fashioned, right? He's just an old fashioned, stern black man. Like Mm -hmm. that's just, that was his, his his MO. All the kids growing up were scared. Man, we were scared of your dad, Ali. Like he was that was that was well, that guy. So I, I think part of it is, you know, there might be a little bit of the ownership piece in there, but I think a lot of it was I worked hard. I'm trying to raise you to be a man, not to be my buddy, not to, you know, it's not about free speech and having fun. It's more about I need you to be able to make it to this point. 
Well, and I think it sounds to me, and I could, I mean, I was way wrong, I feel like, on my first assess question, but, like, um, it sounds to me like he was just trying to protect you. Make yeah, sure you were safe. Like, make sure you you became the man that he wanted you to be and survive what was happening outside. Yeah. And it, all of the, the, you know, views and things that he unfortunately had to endure. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's definitely a lot of it that is definitely survival because I, I think tied into that is when you develop, I think nowadays people call it swagger, when you develop mm-hmm. that swagger at home of being overconfident and this, that, you take it outside where you can't help it. And especially as a child, right? A child and young adult. And it's like, you can't do that, right? Like not being black, you can't do that. Not in this country, you can't do that. Not, I mean, even now, like how many different stories do we need to pull up about somebody getting, I know, just saw the woman just, the woman just got, you know, she was in her own home asleep oh and got shot God. through the window, right? Like, so... So, yeah. you know, so the times aren't that different. I mean, people's, the year might have changed, but the, we're but not the implications, we're shooting, right? exactly. The, like, implica- the implications different. are, the it's implications different. are still the same. Um, so it's going, so going years. back to it is, is kind of, you know, how you're allowed to use that language. But it's interesting that you say in, um, Iranian households, how because of where you're from and where your parents are from, mm-hmm. right? They're what they're, there was nothing necessarily to lose. It was more of a, we're in our comfort zone culturally and at home. So you can be free. I want you to develop your personality, mm-hmm. develop who you are, develop your character, the way, the way in which you speak, but just make sure that you're respectful when you're outside of these yeah. doors, right? There was more built in the mind than possibly there, but that's also, that's also an important thing because I think people see folks from that region of the world Mm -hmm. and sometimes wonder about their level of confidence and their Mm -hmm. level of, and I call it confidence rather than disregard because some people see it as disregard for others Mm -hmm. when they're confident, when you see folks from the Middle East that are just confident in and of themselves, right? From that part of the world. Um, And that shed a little bit of light on that for me. Not that I have anything against it. I think everybody should be that way. But, but can you expound more, more on that? Like what does that do for, for the child, right? I think what it does is it makes you comfortable in your own skin, right? Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a unique scenario where I was always self-conscious anyways, wherever, because even though I felt comfortable and confident about who I was, I was very proud to be Iranian. Um, I also uh, was very aware of my differences, right? I wasn't blonde. Mm-hmm. Um And even though I wasn't being attacked or immediately judged the way I think black people are um, or other minorities are, I, you know, I'm culturally ambiguous looking. Like you don't necessarily know, especially me. I'm not, I don't look Iranian. I have light eyes, you know, whatnot, fair skin, fairish skin. But um, I think for me, it, it really... I don't know. It was something I was very proud of. Yeah. I just grew up not being afraid or ashamed of it. Like I knew that I had a community behind my back. I had um, a whole country that was my home outside right. of the United right. States. So I think it gives me that different sense of security. And it's interesting because I try to encourage my kids to learn Farsi. And my younger son and I, we were talking about it. He's like, why do I have to learn it? I was like, oh, look, look, Iranians are everywhere. Yeah. All over the world. Yeah. And anywhere you go, 
there's a community you can turn to. I was like, if you want to move to Japan, I was like, I guarantee you there's an Iranian community in Japan. I was like, mm-hmm. I guarantee it. Um, I mean, my niece is in Malaysia. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're everywhere. And and I said, and we take and we we may not be like the most supportive community of each other. And we've got <laughs> our own little issues going on. But at the in the long run, we do take care of each other, yeah. right? And he was like, yeah, but I'm black too. And I was like, the difference I said between, especially here, and correct me if I'm wrong, I said between a community like the Ba'ath community or Latino community is that there's such a big community, mm-hmm. right? That it's hard to find your pocket yeah. of community that, that'll be like, yeah, I'll help you out. Right, right, Whereas right. with the Iranian community, because we're not as big, yeah. almost anywhere you go, it's like, oh, we're excited to see, oh, you're Iran. Unless you're in yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many of them. They're like, right, whatever. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But like, and um, so anyhow, so I was just trying to like share that. So I just kind of felt that made me feel unique and that made me like embrace it more than I think other Irani like my brothers for example they're um I mean you know they've shortened their last names they've um you know they've really like assimilated yeah right not no right or wrong about it that's just that's what they chose for me I'm like nope I'm Safar Zadeh even my ex-husband when we got married his name was Jones and I was like nope can't do it. Yeah, can't yeah. be a Jones after I've been sapphires of it for my whole life. Yeah, yeah. So it, I think for me it was it was it was really a huge part of my identity yeah. and who I was and who I thought I was. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's I think that's Im- important though because I think when we talk about what we're able, what's come out of this is when we're we're talking about what we're able to say or not say. Right, just from a simple conversation of are my kids allowed to say the N-word, right? Yeah. And my son won't be allowed to, mm-hmm. not in front of me. Do I know he's going to say it? Of course, just yeah. like he's going to curse, yeah. right? Like I curse in front of him and he right. knows not to say those certain words and he knows sometimes he calls me out if I say a specific word. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, dad, that's a bad word. You shouldn't mm-hmm. say that, right? <laughs> um, and, I, and I think that that might just be where I'm picking up the cultural things that might be Southern culture or Christian culture, right? Mm-hmm. Because my parents were both raised Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that more so because I know you see other households of people in the South, right? That may be the same or a different color mm-hmm. where their kids cursing all the time. It's, you know, it's no big deal. So mm-hmm. I think I'm picking up my specific culture dealing with my, my family, my family lineage and probably that Christian background mm-hmm. of, you don't curse, you don't use foul language. And so, yes, I'm going to impose that on my son. Yeah. And I know that he's going to use it outside. Um, uh, but but it's interesting that out of that comes what the dynamic is. And I think culturally there's clearly a distinction between the two cultures and that you're definitely pushed to being who you are. Definitely. Well, I'm trying to think of how to say this because, you know, the title of our podcast is We're Not So Different. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of similarities that I've seen in um, this conversation revolves around, um, you know, the love of our parents for us Mm -hmm. um, and our cultures and communities where we're from, you know, wanting to make sure we're safe and protected and nurtured. And in that regard, we're the same. Mm -hmm. We're not so different. Where we are different is, I feel like, the driver. Yes. Right. Like, I feel like. You know, your community has a lot more 
there's a lot more consequence. There's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more to think about. Yeah. And, you know, I've had to have a lot of those conversations with my son as well to talk about, you know, when he started driving, I literally wanted to never let him drive. Right. Just out of fear of him getting pulled over and meeting that one bad cop. Um, and it's, it definitely has changed my perspective raising yeah. young black men. Right. Um, so I just, I'm just really aware of that difference and it's something that I think more people should be aware of. Um, cause if we don't know about it and if we don't, aren't aware of it, it won't ever change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great, um, I think that's a great, I think that's a great close for this. Honestly, this first, our first podcast <laughs> episode, uh, which is, which is awesome. Um, cause from this conversation, it's, it, it trails off into so many other conversations about background. And that's why I'd love to, I, I definitely want to have a soon episode on being a parent of a mixed child mm-hmm. and kind of the realizations that come about from having a child that is a different color than you that has mm-hmm. to think about a different thing. And you now have to take on this burden. You now have to wear, to partially carry the black cross. You have to carry the black cross. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting for me because it's like, I'm happy, I'm happy to partner and be there carrying it with everyone. And then at the same time, I'm like trying not to appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So it's, right. A, it's a fine dance <laughs> between right. being an ally and just taking over. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ali, for coming. Um, always enjoy our conversations. This is always awesome. Definitely should do this outside of work more so we can actually get more work done. Yes. In the office. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for those listening, uh, thank you so much for listening. We do have an email address. We love your comments. We love your thoughts. We love your input. We would also love ideas as well. We have a ton of ideas between the two of us, but we're always open. Uh, that email address is wnsdifferent at gmail.com. Again, wnsdifferent at gmail.com. So Feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks for listening to We're Not So Different.